We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. When men and women come in under the word of God, they ought to know that they're dealing with a God of holiness, a God of purity, a God of righteousness, a God of mercy and grace, yes, but a God of justice as well. It's been said that the book of Judges is the spiral book. The nation of Israel just keeps spiraling downward. With each successive judge that redeems them, there is a continuing spiral downward. And where is the redemption in all of this? Well, that is the question we're answering here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan, the ministry of Grace Bible Church right here in Hayward. Join us here in Judges chapter 3, the first 11 verses, up first in the list of Judges, Othniel. Here's Pastor Jesse with today's broadcast. Othniel will be the first of seven judges that we deal with, and I will describe him as the model judge. The model judge with peculiarities relevant to this specific battle that Israel is under at the present time. This will be the case with every other judge as well. Every other judge will be raised up by God and he will be a type of Christ who will be a representative of the preaching of the gospel, which is circumscribed by three characteristics. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is also the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ. But the gospel is also the foolishness of God for those who do not understand how that God can take weak things and do powerful things through them. That is the book of Judges. And you and I want to get a handle on that. The foolishness of preaching by which God saves his people. Now, the first judge is going to be about as normal as you get. Everything else from here on out is going to get weird. Now, it's designed for you and I to understand that God will never, ever take that which appears to be in our own minds as wise, as good and right, because we would seek to steal his glory. God always uses the foolish things of the world to confound the mighty. But on this occasion, because we're dealing with the alpha, I've been teaching you men that we're dealing with the alpha. This judge will be an alpha judge with all of the marks of a New Testament pastor, a New Testament bishop, a New Testament preacher. In other words, Othniel will model the qualifications of a legitimate gospel pastor, which will first be a man. Secondly, he will be married. Thirdly, he will have ruled his household well. Fourthly, then he can be used by God 
to help the gospel church, which is also a family, to be able to serve its master well, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the qualifications of the pastor. Any distortion of that is the tyranny that's going on in our world right now by the wicked one who wants to usurp God's authority in our life. So Othniel is calling you and I to understand a a number of things. First, I want to establish the the call to fight the good fight of faith, which is frequently something that you and I feel like we cannot do. Uh, The idea of fighting is incongruent to some people because when you find yourself engaged in a fight, and this is true whether you're fighting your vocation as a wife or as a mother or as a husband or as a father, a son, a daughter, whether you're in a particular secular vocation or ministry, let's be honest about it. Fighting is not a comfortable idea. And fighting actually makes you and I look pretty bad when we're in the middle of it. Right. Embrace this. Fighting is not designed for you to look good. Fighting is not designed for you to 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 have this sense that you have the capacity to handle the situation. Quite naturally, fighting makes us look bad in the process of it. In fact, there are three things I want you to capture around fighting. I'll say four. And the first thing is that what fighting will do is expose your weaknesses. That's why people don't really understand what it means to fight the good fight of faith, because fighting will expose your weaknesses. I told our men this two weeks ago. If you don't identify your enemy and you mistake him as your friend and when he walks up on you smiling, but then punches you in the eye, you behind the gun. He didn't already won round one. You trying to catch up now, are you not? And your mind is discombobulated because you fail to understand your arena and you fail to understand your agency. You missed your season. You fail to realize you are in a fight of faith. Now you are struggling just to recover your equilibrium and ask yourself the question, what just happened? But you see, he already knew that. That's why he snuck up on you to tag you because you fail to remember that you are in a world that does not love God. You're in an an environment that is constantly seeking to take God's throne away from you. You are constantly in a dimension where you got to fight enemies within and without. And by the time you wake up to the fact that he hasn't quit swinging or she hasn't quit swinging at you, you got to finally resolve, I better get to fighting. But you could have lost round one around two by then. Now you're all embarrassed. But you got to get over the embarrassment because you got to get to the business of the imperative that came to you in the first place. Do you know what that imperative is? Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of eternal life, which the Lord Jesus Christ has won for you. The other thing that fighting does when you and I are not prepared for, not only does it make us vulnerable, it demonstrates our weaknesses. Why? Have you ever got yourself into a fight and about 30 seconds in, you went, oh, Lord, I ain't got no strength to keep fighting. Have you ever gotten to one? Have you found yourself wrestling with principalities and powers and quickly draining and getting to that place where, you know, in about five seconds, I'm about to be pinned. Have you ever been there? Now you realize your weaknesses. That's a good thing. Because see, while you were not in the fight, 
you thought you were all that. While you were not wrestling and struggling with your adversary, you thought you were strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The moment the pressure came down on you, you realized the truth that you are weak in yourself and that you're vulnerable to attacks that come at you in ways that you are not trained to see. Am I telling some truth? Sound like your pastor knows something about fighting since three years old since three years old. And you got to know in a world when you have been introduced into a world, as was the case with me, where you are constantly having to identify the people in front of you because you could get into a fight and be disadvantaged by, you got to now learn how to train your mind. Anyone that's learning how to fight, anyone that's being taught how to defend themselves, realize that you got to learn to be quick with it. You can't be slow. You got to hurry up and realize you are in a fight. You got to build your discernment skills quickly so you can identify the attacks, so you can parry, so you can move, so you can avoid direct hits. That requires discernment. And when you meet Christians who have learned to fight the good fight of faith, these Christians are no nonsense believers. Because they see the, 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 the preparation of the enemy and they will let you know. Now, if you're too lazy to believe what they're saying, you'll know it as soon as you get knocked upside the head. And that's what happened to Israel. Because God told them, when you go in the land, your job is not to make friends with them. Their job is not to make friends with you. Their job is to turn you. And this is a prison term some of us know. And that's what you're dealing with right now in your country and the world. It wants to turn you. It wants to turn you, and a lot of us have not awakened to that battle yet. This is just absolutely remarkable, so I want you to get this. The other part of this uh, whole metaphor of fighting is that God allows you and I to struggle with these things to build our stamina, right? When you learn how to fight, you become strong, and you become persevering. You become capable of enduring. You become an individual who is able to bear up under opposition and pressure because you've been trained to do it. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? You've been trained to do it. And so the strong are to bear the infirmities of the weak until the weak come into a place of being strong enough to bear the infirmities of other weak people. This is how the church has been depicted For 2,000 years, in glory, we're called the church triumphant. Down here, we're called the church militant. So which one you going to be? Which one you going to be? You going to pretend you're already in glory, triumphant, and just your spirit may be in glory with Christ. But I'm going to tell you, your soul and your body down here. And there's a battle going on. Is anybody hearing me? Because I can go to work and I'm telling you, we got a foundation to lay even with Othniel. And I don't want you to miss it. Othniel, therefore, our subtitle is a bride, a business, a battle and a what? A bride, a business, a battle and a blessing. So I want to start off by talking about Othniel for a moment. I'll be coming back in our third point to deal with faith in terms of the metaphor of fighting here in a moment. Othniel here in Judges chapter uh, three 
uh, is a man whose name in the Hebrew, and these are always very important concepts and very important terms, not always completely compatible, but in this context, I learned something about who Othniel is, and this is what we want to sit on for a moment. Othniel, whose name in the Hebrew actually means the Lord's burning, the Lord's fire, the Lord's scorching. His mama named him Othniel because she wanted him to be the kind of person that could actually be the means of God's grace to sanctify all impurities. Now, we know that our God is a consuming fire, do we not? Do we not also know that God makes his angels a flaming fire? Do you not know that God's word is like a fire that consumes Do you not know that the church in the beginning was depicted by tongues of fire sitting on their head in the upper room as they waited to go out? In other words, there is a fire component of God's nature that should be part of ministry because when men and women come in under the word of God, they ought to know that they're dealing with a God of holiness, a God of purity, a God of righteousness. A God of mercy and grace, yes, but a God of justice as well. So Othniel means the God of burning. El Othniel, the God of purging, the God of fire, actually the God of blackness. And this indicates Othniel's origin. Actually, we'll be talking about him in a moment. It's apparent that he was of the bronze-colored people uh, for a unique reason. Let's go on and build that argument. He was the nephew of Caleb. Do you guys remember Brother Caleb? The, uh, the information to that is given to us very clearly in First uh, Judges chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Look at this for a moment. We're going to build on him for a second because he is a model judge for us. In Judges chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, even though it will be through uh, 15, even though Judges chapter 1 is given to us, is really an overlap between the uh, book of uh, Joshua, chapter 14 through 19, where Joshua actually takes the land, parses it out. So you'll see a whole chapter in Joshua 14 through 17, where this chapter is somewhat reiterated. So what we're dealing with in the first uh, chapter of Judges is where the land now is being released to the people of God as Joshua passes away. Does that make sense? And notice what it says over in verse 12 about Caleb, of whom I'm going to touch on for a moment, because Othniel is of Caleb. And Caleb said, the one that smirts, uh, that smiteth Kirjath Sephir and taketh it to him, will I give Oxa my daughter to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenan, Caleb's brother, younger brother, did what? He took it and he gave him Oxa, his daughter, to wife. We're going to come back here in a moment. So I want you to understand that the narrative given to us has the book of Joshua behind it and it has the book of Chronicles in front of it. Chapter four. And I don't want you to go there. Those who are reading with covenant eyes understand that the first judge that God raises up to actually deal with the uh, pagans in the land because of the disobedience of Israel is a judge who actually comes out of, but it's not from the tribe of Judah. He comes out of, but is not from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah is the premier leading tribe for war. I have taught you guys that. If you guys remember the graph of the children of Israel as they made their way through the wilderness, when the pagan would look afar off and see them, they would be walking or marching in what is called formation. 
and the first four tribes would be in the front, and then uh, first three tribes in the front. Then there would be three tribes on the side, either side, and then there would be a rearward tribe. Judah is always the first tribe because Judah represents him who is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. His name is Jesus. He is the man of war that brings us into our rest. Are you hearing me? But what is really unique about the text that's in front of us is that Caleb being the nephew, uh, Othniel being the nephew of Caleb gives us an insight into the lineage of Othniel into Caleb's life because Caleb is the one along with Joshua whom God had mercy while he destroyed everybody 20 and above when they were called to spy out the land and bring back a good report. It wasn't but two men ready to take the land. That was Joshua and who? Caleb. And I'm telling you, when you hear how God spoke of Caleb through Moses and through, uh, through Joshua, and when you read of Caleb, and you can find this again in your own, on your own in Joshua chapter 14 and 15, Caleb asked God because he was so clearly ready to take the land, give me the most difficult land. I don't want the shallow land. I don't want the weak land. I want the hardest land. Now, I want you to mark this. Caleb back then was 40 years old when, uh, when God uh, told Israel, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. In Joshua 14, guess what Caleb said when it's time for him to take the land? He says, I'm 85 years old. But I'm just as strong as I was back in the day when I was ready to take the land before the Lord our God, the God of Moses, decided to delay everybody until all the unbelievers perished in the wilderness. Caleb said, I'm just as strong at 85 as I was. Then let me go. I will take the land. Now, I could sit on Caleb all day because what you're going to discover is that Caleb joined himself to the tribe of Judah. Or rather, God brought Caleb into the tribe of Judah to help Judah because Judah wasn't all that Judah was supposed to be. So often God will give you help. Because even though you're supposed to be what God wants you to be, without that help, you won't be it. You'll see this in, in, uh, in, in uh, Judges chapter 1, where it speaks of the fact that Judah was to go up first. That's the first few verses in the text. Who shall go up for us, Lord? Judah will go up first. He's to take uh, Hebron. He's to take the region of Jerusalem because it will be the city of David. It'll be the place where the temple of the Lord is. He's to destroy the Canaanites and the Jebusites in that particular area. But you read the text carefully in chapter one. He took the upper hill, but he couldn't take the valley. And he couldn't take the valley because he perceived that the enemy there had chariots and that his army was not capable of dealing with chariots. May I put a caveat there? But Joshua had told him, it doesn't matter whether it's a thousand chariots, 10,000 chariots. The Lord said that was your land. And if you fight, you will win it. And he collapsed. But when Caleb was given his territory, Caleb went in there and wiped out all the Anakim. Now, who are the Anakim? They're an extension of the Nephilites. They are the giants in the land. Here's this old brother, 85 years old, just as zealous for God as could be. He goes in and takes the most difficult territory with the great giants that had run the other 10 uh, bad witnesses back to Moses. 
This makes Caleb remarkable. Now, there are three things about Uncle Caleb that I want you to get before we deal with Othniel. One is Caleb's name in the Hebrew means faithful dog. Faithful dog, a man's best friend. So we say in the metaphor, man, that's my dog, man, that's my dog. That's a brother you can trust. He ain't going to stab you in the back. You ain't got to worry about him, you know, saying something wrong or getting at you when you're not looking. A faithful dog. And that's who Christ is for the father. And that's who Christ is for his elect. He is a faithful dog. All right. And you and I are dogs too, but we ain't all that faithful. But we're called to be. We're called to be. We're called to be faithful to our master as Christ was, as Caleb was, and as Othniel will be. The other thing I like about this is that Caleb actually was not at all part of the nation of Israel. His family came out of what is called the uh, Kenazites, and the Kenazites are only known in Genesis chapter 15 when God told Abraham that he was going to allow the children of Israel to go into Canaan for 430 years and that they were to take out the 10 nations that were at that time in Egypt to take them out. 10 nations in the land of Canaan. 10 nations that he would take out once he brought them into the land of Canaan. Now, you will mark something. When that language is given in Genesis 15, and we get to the book of Exodus, where God now brings Israel out. As Israel is headed to the promised land, the book of Deuteronomy, God emphasizes not 10 nations, but seven. And why is that? Because two of the nations dissolve and one of them immerses into the nation of Israel. Guess who is that nation that immerses into the nation of Israel? The Kenazites. The Kenazites become one. We know this because the language is clear in the Chronicles that the uh, tribe of Judah owns the Kenazites as family now. This here gives you an allusion to the fact that God was always... Saving Jews and Gentiles, not just Gentiles. And the other efficacy of this uh, composite that I'm making with you is not only that Caleb is old, not only that Caleb is mighty, but that Caleb is also not a Jew, which means God is not a respecter of persons. All right. And that Caleb came from the Hamite tribes that were largely dark colored people of which all throughout history, you know, they've had their problems with being accepted on those terms. So God loves to take people who are viewed as uh, unacceptable and the outliers and use them as pictures of his redemption in Christ. That's what you get with Caleb. And there's more that can be said, but Othniel falls right in line. Listen to what happens in Judges chapter 1. Verse 13, again, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. Now, when the text tells that he took it, we are at, um, I'm going to start at point number one. When the text says he took it, why did Caleb, t- why, did, uh, why did Othniel take the land? Well, he took the land because the proposition to him was what? He would get a bride. Are y'all keeping up with me? All right, now this is where it gets a little sticky. And uh, I remember what Angelo said last week. He said last Sunday, you know, it's a faithful saying, First John chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful and just to forgive us, from all, uh, forgive us of all of our sins and to do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Angelo said, that's right there, right there is when it starts getting interesting. Cleansing is an interesting work of God. Right. So we know that we are forgiven of our sins by the once for all work of Christ on the cross. 
It's the cleansing like we learned yesterday. Ladies, did we have a good time yesterday? It's the cleansing that we have to learn how to walk with God in. It's the cleansing because that's a continuum wherein God works in ways that you got to keep up with him or you'll miss the whole process of sanctification. It's really true. God knows how to clean us up, does he not? He knows how to clean us up. And what he's about to do with Israel under what I am calling the model, uh, the model servant, because like I stated, he is following New Testament uh, <clears throat> standards for leadership in the church. No church is right where it makes its own decisions who should be pastor, who should be elders, and who should be deacons. Particularly in the present time where we want to utterly deny the clear standard of male leadership in the church and want to impose female leadership in the church, thinking you are doing God a favor. You are not. I am about to show you that the king that Othniel is dealing with is a tyrant that underscores the very troubles you and I are dealing with in our country. Well, you have been listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. If you have questions or comments about the program, maybe you would like to learn more about us here at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Reach out to us by simply calling 510-886-9782, or you can visit our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Sunday services here at the church are 10.30 in the morning. Friday evening is our Friday evening Bible study at 6.30. And man, we've got friends of the ministry from all over the Bay Area who join us for this Friday night Bible study. It is an amazing time of God's Word and sweet fellowship in Christ. 6.30 in the evening Tuesdays, our prayer time and a short Bible study as well. These meetings, again, the directions and information of which you can find at our website, grace-bible.com, or by calling 510-886-9782. This program continues to air here on this radio station and on the World Wide Web because you partner with us financially and prayerfully. Thank you for your support. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. And you can either give on a monthly basis or it's a one-time gift. It is all tax deductible. And again, the biggest part of your partnership with us is that we get to continue ministering the gospel of grace here in the Bay Area and all over the world. Consider that as you contact us and join us again next time for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan.